Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is one o'clock on a Wednesday, and I want to thank everyone for being here. Uh, please remember, this is Fireside Chat. You can actually right now go to the little circle in the bottom left-hand corner of your phone. That is the hamburger. If you click on that and you hit broadcast to the world, that will allow for you to copy the link to the show put it up into your Twitter, your uh, your LinkedIn, whatever is your preferred social media platform, uh, and you can share that with the world, and we would love for you to do that. Uh, today, we have a great show. We are looking at the NASPA annual conference and the recap there, uh, but before we get into that, uh, we want to uh, remind everybody that this is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I am your host, Dr. Laura DeVoe, and this is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it is my honor to bring to you topics of note in higher education, current trends, and new information to ponder. Uh, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy, on the Substack platform. It is now the number one higher education newsletter on Substack. And follow me here on Fireside so you can get alerts to all my shows, and uh, as well as uh, follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I will put my follow information up later on in the show in the scrolling fortune cookie in the middle of your phone. Uh, today, some news stories we are watching uh, from inside higher education. Ukrainian Russian students face financial woes in the United States. Um, we are showing that back home in Ukraine and students who are here from Russia are having a difficult time with financials, uh, making sure that they are unable to pay, uh, that they are having trouble paying their uh, current uh, bills and that sort of thing due to the uh, issues uh, happening with the war in Ukraine. Uh, if you did not catch our show on uh, March 11th, we had a great show there talking about this issue. Uh, check out that article uh, today in Inside Higher Education. Also from Inside Higher Education, Nevada System Chancellor uh, is set to re resign. Melody Rose intends to resign as Chancellor of the Nevada System of Higher Education on Friday. After less than two years in the role, the system of Board of Regents will hold a special meeting on Friday uh, to consider a separation agreement that Rose has already signed. The agreement would terminate her four-year contract over after only 19 months. Uh, Again, if you missed our show on January the 19th, I would recommend uh, you uh, take a look at that. We had a great conversation with our think tank on how leadership matters in higher education, uh, very applicable to that news. And then finally, today in inside, I'm sorry, in higher education dive, uh, applicable to our conversation today, student affairs workforce face retention issues report says, and it's directly re related to the NASPA report on the future of higher education. In brief, early and mid-level, mid-career uh, student affairs professionals are leaving the field for other pursuits amid compensation and work environment concerns, according to a new 
report from NASPA. Uh, some 88% of professionals surveyed said a lack of competitive salaries in comparison to jobs required experience and education could contribute to people leaving the profession. The report recommends collaboration from higher education professionals at all levels to improve workforce satisfaction and retention. An excellent article to read and an excellent article to consider as we move into today's topic. Uh, with over 4,000 members of the Student Affairs Administrators in Higher Education, otherwise known as NASPA, came together on March 20th to the 23rd in Baltimore, Maryland. This was the association's first in-person annual conference since the spring of 2019. Like so many other aspects of our lives, NASPA was forced to reimagine the delivery of their nearly 80 annual in-person events during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. And now, as we transition to endemic living and conferencing, NASPA has, is ready to deliver. But the world of student affairs has changed. The great resignation is putting a great strain on campus service delivery, and the field itself is at a crossroads. And as is typical of any year and any conference, there was controversy and debate about what the association should be prioritizing. Uh, today, my guests are the 2022 NASPA Conference Chair, Dr. Mamta Akapati. Uh, Mamta is the Vice Provost for University Life at the University of Pennsylvania. And from NASPA, the NASPA office itself in Washington, D.C., Joey DeSanto-Jones, uh, who, as of this Friday, day after tomorrow, will be the Executive Director of the Higher Education Consortium for Student Affairs Certification, otherwise known as the Certification Consortium. Welcome, Mamta and Joey. Nice to have you both here. You can take yourselves off mute and uh, just say hi. Hi, Mamta. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having us, Laura. It was such a gift to be in community with both of you. Thank you. You're, you are a classy, classy act to have here. I usually uh, am in awe of my guests, and so uh, very much mm -hmm. so here. And speaking of classy, Joey, nice to have you here. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for the invite, Laura, and a, a pleasure to join my treasured colleague, Mom, to hear, especially a week after the conclusion of a um, momentous, wonderful annual conference. So congratulations mm -hmm. to her. And Mamta, uh, just to give people a little uh, brief information on you and your background, um, uh, you have been at the University of Pennsylvania. She is considered a national leader in university student affairs. Um, she has been a partic uh, particular advocate for first-generation students, low-income students, and children of immigrants, reflecting her own background as a child of immigrants who went to earn, on, earn three degrees at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, she served as vice president for student affairs at Rollins College from 2013 to 2020, following four years as the dean of students at Oregon State University. So little information there about Mamta. And uh, Joey has uh, manages virtual learning uh, and uh, member engagement opportunities at NASPA. His job may be changing as of Friday, and he can tell us more about that in the moments to come. Uh, from 2016 to 2019, Joey collaborated with senior level student affairs leaders to develop, launch, and manage NASPA's advisory services as the program's inaugural director. Um, and uh, Joey holds an 
master's in education in college personnel and a BA in communication studies from the University of Maryland, College Park. So I wanna welcome both of you here. Uh, and we're gonna have a great conversation. I've gotten a lot of, lot of interest in this show. Um, for those of you who have not been part of these conversations before, wanna remind you how this application works. So again, if you go to the dot in the lower left-hand corner, that is the uh, hamburger. If you want to share this uh, broadcast to the world, you can. You just hit that button and it will allow for you to share it to other applications, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. The other thing is over the course of the show, if you have a question uh, or you want to ask uh, the panel, you can always do that uh, by asking to come on up on stage. Uh, and so you can request to come up on stage. You can also use the lower right-hand corner. There's a react button. Um, and so if you want to give folks a thumbs up or a heart or a poop emoji, which I'm not a big fan of, uh, but you can always do that as well. This is a classy place. We want to keep it classy. All right. So um, the top three things that I've gotten uh, asks about, um, and I want to make sure we cover those today as best we can over the course of the hour, um, are credentialing, the credentialing program, Joey, so you're in the hot seat. That's the number one thing people have questions about. Number two is this kind of future of student affairs and how that uh, conversation happened within the conference environment. Um, who was at the table specifically, who was at the microphone asking questions and was kind of presented as the future. So that's a conversation there. And then uh, there has been some, some compensation questions and uh, so, that is gonna be a touchy one to discuss because some of the questions were about um, how the president of NASPA, Kevin Kruger, kind of presented that um, in terms of some of the, the conversations and then how it was presented in Forbes. Um, but we'll get to that as well um, and see how we can actually frame that knowing Kevin isn't here. Uh, so um, I wanna start first uh, about framing this conference and what brought you here. And Mamta, I'm gonna start with you because you were the conference chair and being the conference chair is a lot of work on a, in a regular year, but the last year wasn't a regular year. Did you always think it was going to be a hybrid approach, or did you go into this with one idea uh, of, of what the conference was going to look like? Um, how did that kind of manifest and change over the course of time? Absolutely. Um, so uh, first of all, I'm so grateful that – well. I, you know, to, to have the opportunity to be a steward and a facilitator of the conference is just such a gift, right? And and so I actually feel so thankful to have been asked and offered the opportunity to be a steward and a caretaker of the conference this particular year. Um, my approach as an educator in general is to really try to suspend my attachment to things or my uh, ideas about how things should be. And so what I'm really grateful for is that NASPA really created a space for me to to go in as a learner and to see and assess, you know, and learn from our people. What do we collectively need um, as educators right now, as a community right now? So, um, you know, uh, if, if we've learned anything over the past two years, it's right. Uh, I don't even like using the term pivot anymore, but no. <laughs> but the but the F word is flexibility. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. that's our new F word. And so what the F means, what the flexibility and um, <laughs> um, to keep it classy as you have invoked us to do. And, and so the only attachment that I entered into the conversation with was how do we be in loving community with our colleagues in an accessible, 
way, um, knowing what the the global right the global the global collective trauma, recognizing different levels of severity for folks across our identities of privilege. I have a lot mm-hmm. of privilege, so um, I want to own that. But but what does it mean to co-create and come back together in a rejuvenated, loving, and accessible way, knowing that it was going to be imperfect? no matter what we did, right? And so um, I think the commitment of the conference leadership committee was to create, and I keep using this as a phrase, the most imperfect loving experience that we could co-create alongside our colleagues. You you really kind of looked at this through the leadership of grace, right? You gave yourself grace, you gave others grace, and you knew it wasn't going to be perfect. And, you know, that's something I think many of us have come a bit more comfortable with over the last two years, right? And so um, I appreciate that. Um, so, I, and that idea of service to the profession uh, is really what it's uh, the opportunity to actually have an impact. And so um, when it was all over, Mamta, when, when the last session ended, what was the first thing you did? Um, well, the first thing after the last session ended, um, I had some time, you know, I was still frantically packing, but the, then I immediately got on the train, um, got home, hugged my child, and then I had a town hall meeting with students like an hour later <laughs> on campus, <laughs> and it was awesome. So, you didn't even give yourself um, a minute, okay? You didn't yeah. even do laundry, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that, that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so, Joey, I want to ask you this question. You haven't had a chance to be in person in a long time. The last time the association was in person was uh, 2019. Um, so uh, how many people actually ended up coming to the conference uh, in person and, and uh, online? This is either free or you yeah, know the number. Um, I can speak to this. Um, and Joey, correct me uh, sure. if, I, if I'm inaccurate here. Um, so uh, last I know, we had over 4,000 attendees in person with approximately 800 attending in the virtual experience. So that was kind of the final Mm -hmm. um, count that I am aware of. Okay, great. And then, um, so Joey, this was the first time you've been in community with the the association since uh, 2019 when there was the 100th Mm -hmm. anniversary celebration of NASPA in Los Angeles. What, how did, how did it feel from your perspective as a NASPA employee and a, and, and a, a, a staff member of the association? Well, I think it felt both concurrently normal as well as completely odd and different at the same time. And I remember, Mamta, I believe in your opening comments, you talked about tension and kind of holding this mm-hmm. tension as we move through this space. And that was one of the tensions that I felt as a staff mm-hmm. member. I've, I've worked more NASPA annual conferences than I have attended. There'd right. probably be a Netflix documentary show that very few of us would watch <laughs> on what it's like to work um, in annual conference of the Student <laughs> Affairs Association, I think would right. be interesting. Uh, but it did feel abnormal. I think if you've been to these conferences before, there's, there's kind of a typical rhythm or cadence mm-hmm. on what happens on what day. There's a lot of familiar faces, but there's a lot of new faces, right? And you want to provide mm-hmm. space for yep. both of those communities, knowing that that's two very broad general communities. And throughout that all, you know, my hat's off to Mamta and the, the conference leadership committee and the many, many volunteer groups who were involved in creating a space that was safe, that was accessible, that quality professional engagement opportunities, uh, professional development, rather, engagement opportunities, both in per- person and hybrid. You know, mm-hmm. I think folks have wanted there to be an in-person event for quite some time. Um, NASPA historically has done a virtual offering. Mm-hmm. This year, the amount of virtual sessions was doubled. Yeah. 
as well as engagement opportunities. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that how that looks going forward with an emphasis on both providing those safe, accessible, high quality spaces in person as well as virtually. And yeah. people are going to have an opportunity to if uh, to review and give comment to both of those over time. And so I think that for those who are listening live and uh, in the replay, please, please, please fill out your evaluations. Um, and so that being said, I want to jump into the certification program because that is probably the thing I've gotten the mm -hmm. most emails about, text messages, um, responses to my last Substack about. Um, and so Joey, uh, frame the program for us. Um, it is uh, called the uh, Student <clears throat> Affairs Education Certification Program. Um, it is uh, a program that has representation not only from NASPA, but also from ACPA, ACUHAWAI, uh, ACUI. So ACUHAWAI is the housing folks, ACUI is the student union folks. AFA, which is, is that, what is AFA? <laughs> fraternity and sorority life. Okay. Fraternity and sorority yep. life. Sorry. This is the one area of my, uh, my resume. I never oversaw any fraternity and sorority life, which is, is a whole other story. Um, ASEA, which is our conduct folks, folks, NACA, which is, uh, campus activities, uh, NURSA, which is, uh, remind me who NURSA is. Campus recreation. They're Campus currently recreation. having their they're annual right. conference right now in Portland. Yep. So your viewership is yep. probably pretty low from them, but they're outstanding folks. They can watch <laughs> and that's reporting. actually an org organization NASPA has been with for a while on some other, on some other yes. fronts. So yes, several uh, of these so associations. So, so I apologize for, for forgetting them. And then NOTA is uh, orientation. So talk to us about mm -hmm. uh, the certification program. What is it? And then I'm going to ask you what isn't it, but you tell me what it is right now. So thank you for naming that. I think those, those, all of those partner associations have been involved in content development and then a subset um, within this consortium for student affairs educator certification. So I'll try to say what it is without saying what it's not. And I can't mm -hmm. promise that as I balance okay. my phone in my hand here. Okay. What it is, several things. It's a voluntary credential. Okay. So this is new. It is developing. It is not mandatory. It is not created with that intent. And it's something that is created specifically for educators in student affairs and services who are mid-level and above. And this is being created so that they can formally demonstrate what they've learned through previous education and work experience. A couple other pieces on what it is. This is intended to be an investment in the field, not about profit generation or revenue generation. And I know that was one of the questions you wanted to get into. Mm -hmm. yep. So you, you mentioned several of the associations. Um, seven of those associations are founding partners. Um, develop, I'm sorry, uh, giving uh, volunteer leadership time, as well as financial contributions to start the actual certification consortium itself, and developing it in a way that it adheres to certification standards so it can be accredited. It does not need to be accredited. That's something that we are aiming to do as part of the development of this program. And where and are you getting the accreditation from? The name of the organization is ANAB, ANSI. Um, it is an international association, but the acronym is American National Standards Institute, I believe. They're one of, if not one of the largest bodies within certification credentialing, or rather accreditation. Okay. So, other pieces on what this is. We, so the, the Higher Education Consortium is an entirely new organization. So the credentials themselves won't be granted or maintained by NASPA, CUO, ASCA, the other partner associations that you named. They'll be granted by this new organization, the consortium. 
And so in developing it, we're establishing a new organization. So everything from governance structure, staffing, operations, engaging with volunteer leaders and external psychometricians, so testing and measurement specialists, um, looking into means of testing to ensure that we have accessible uh, proctoring systems and test delivery systems, um, as well as systems for folks who seek this certification and continuing education that, that, that is user-friendly for them as well. Um, the costs associated with this are to basically fund the certification itself. Okay. So when we talk about the investment from these associations, the we're not anticipating that we'll see a return, or rather that, that, that the associations will, you know, it's going to take 10 years for associations to get paid back okay. in regard to what this investment is. And what it's about at its core, Laura, is lifelong learning. Um, okay. and I think, you know, my colleague, Dr. Laura Osteen at Tulane University, um, has been masterful in the last several years in chairing a certification advisory task force, um, creating content in the way that, you know, she says it much better than I do, but, you know, we, we need practice, right? Like we need to, you know, pull the Ted Lasso references and get out on the pitch and, and, yeah. and practice what we're doing, whatever language or terms that we use. Um, and we have excellent student affairs and ed- educators engaged in that through professional development. This is a formal means to recognize that and demonstrate this is the knowledge gained. Uh, this is, you know, essentially the competencies that I'm demonstrating um, through my education and through continued work experience for folks who are mid-level and above. Okay. So the question that, that I want to get to what it isn't, okay? Mm-hmm. But I think some of the questions that I've gotten from people that I actually think makes sense is that there's other signature programs that some of these organizations have. Okay, so ASCA has the Stevenson Institute, the folks at um, uh, Aku Hawaii has, has their housing officer program. Are these, is this supposed to supplement that nope. or, okay. Yes, sorry, cut you off. Talk Please to me continue. more about, okay, you, you, so what is it? <laughs> so it is a supplement. And I think this actually gets into a little bit in definitions um, okay. around what is a certificate and what mm-hmm. is a certification. Okay. So a certificate program largely focuses on assessing learning outcomes for a specific program. So one attends a, you know, I'll use NASP as an example, fantastic law and policy certificate is offered. I'm biased, obviously, mm-hmm. having worked in NASPA for several years with that program, mm-hmm. though not directly. Um, the individuals who receive that certi- certificate are assessed on their learning outcomes and gain knowledge from a very specific point in time. Mm-hmm. So if I went to the Law and Policy Institute 10 years ago, I still have that certificate. Right. If I went yesterday, I still have that certificate. Certification is different. It's focused on assessing current knowledge and competencies and ensuring continuing education and lifelong learning. So that's where it differs. There's, there's not a, So to your point, Laura, about what it's not, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of really good questions come up in social media spaces about what is it, what is it not? Is it mandatory? Is it voluntary? It is voluntary. And one of them is about curriculum. Certification isn't a curriculum. This is not a, a course of study or a program that one then sits for a certification assessment. Rather, the eligibility requirements are balanced between one's professional work experience as well as their education degrees with pathways built in to honor the master's degree as well as further reinforce their integrity and provide additional access points for folks who have bachelor's degrees and associates with extended work experience. Okay. So one of the things that's come up on social media is, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you referred to it that there's some people who think this is some kind of cash grab, that this mm-hmm. is a way to kind of make money. Um, and you're saying that this is actually going to be a, a loss leader for a while and that it's going to take a year for people to kind of make it up 
Okay. And I think that when we really look at what this is all about, that is a big issue that some folks have is, you know, what, where is this money actually, you know, mm-hmm. where is this actually running from? So I think that there, there's that piece. I think the other piece that I'm hearing from, from folks and it's been out on social is, um, and I was actually in a session with the faculty, a faculty breakfast and the faculty breakfast, it was one of these things where people were saying, you know, where, where does the faculty fit in this and how does this impact our programs? Because we're at a point right now where a lot of these programs are, their enrollments going down um, for a variety of reasons, um, not the least of which is there's just not as many people, all <laughs> we know this from the undergraduate as well as graduate schools, there's just not as many students to enroll. Um, there's also the the issue, which we'll get to hopefully later, about the profession itself and bringing in a bench of people to actually feed the profession. So there was some chatter amongst the faculty of, is this the time for something like this when we already have these programs that are 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 under duress? the The way it was framed with the faculty, um, and you've you've said this, is that this is really for mid-level professionals. This is not a replacement for graduate school. So when you graduate, you either have a master's degree plus a certain number of years of experience or a bachelor's degree and extra experience on top of those years of experience. Can you frame that for folks so they understand that better? Sure. So just to make sure, because you, you, you said a lot there, Lauren, I want to try to miss it. So you're talking about eligibility requirements as well as kind of the alignment and support of graduate degrees. Is that mm-hmm. the pieces that are there? Yeah. yeah. Right. So the certification is kind of doing this dance in terms of respecting the space, the lane, the importance of and honoring graduate education and graduate degrees in our work. And that's part of the part of the reason there's a focus in certification for folks who are mid-level educators. So folks okay. who have five years of work experience, postgraduate degree, so that certification does not act as or is perceived as something that is replacing graduate education. That is not what this is. That's not mm-hmm. what it's intended mm-hmm. to be. That's not what it will be. This is something further down the road for folks who've worked for an extended period of time, have a master's degree in five plus years, and who seek to demonstrate that knowledge and use that to share opportunities for advancement, portability to move into other functional areas, um, to demonstrate their competency and knowledge if they've been tasked to take on multiple functional areas and responsibility, which could be new as well too. Mm -hmm. We also know that there is a lot of talented folks in this field who don't have a master's degree. We want to provide pathways and access for them, whether they have a bachelor's or an associate's degree, but also recognizing the importance of a master's degree and its history in student affairs and student services work, which is why we're looking to build in pathways for folks who have a bachelor's or an associate's with extended work experience. So eight mm-hmm. plus years of work experience mm-hmm. is what we're looking at and working to finalize with volunteer leadership. I think the faculty co- voice in this conversation is integral. It is so okay. important and it has been from the beginning. Uh, certification development, it's not a new topic. Um, cert- certification for student affairs educators has been in development for about three years now. Um, if, if you go to the website, it's under development, but it's studentaffairscertification.org. I know that sounds mm-hmm. like it's on the timeshare, which I, I promise you I'm not. Okay. Um, but if you go to that website and you look at the leadership, leadership and governance page, you'll see a list of probably about 100 different practitioners and graduate faculty okay. from generalist student affairs associations as well as specialty associations who've been involved in this process. That engagement doesn't stop on certification launches. 
We're looking at ways to ensure voice of practitioners as well as graduate faculty and certification continuing development and its operations. Um, I want to make sure people, uh, I want to revisit that if you have a question, if you have a follow-up, please feel free to request to come on up on stage and ask uh, our, our guests, Mamta or, or Joey, uh, anything that you have. Uh, you are here uh, with Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is the weekly fireside chat around uh, news and views in higher education. Uh, next week, we have a, a great show coming up. Uh, it is with um, Dr. Sydney Freeman from the University of Idaho. Um, we are looking at thriving in unfamiliar spaces. Dr. Friedman is a groundbreaker. He's a professor in the Department of Leadership and Counseling at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. He's the first African-American male to be promoted to full professor in the university's history. We're going to talk about how being a first on a predominantly white university campus is one thing, but having moved to Idaho after spending a good chunk of his life at historically black colleges and universities, how that is actually impacting his career and how he is impacting the community there at Idaho. Um, following that week, uh, on April 13th, the Think Tank returns with our April episode. The Think Tank is always a, a fun episode, and uh, so I enjoy, uh, I invite you all to join us for that. Um, we have one of our uh, Think Tank members, Shigs, here in the audience. So. Uh, she is, I don't know if she's coming to that show, but she is one of our think tank folks. And then uh, also coming up uh, in the weeks ahead, uh, Butler University has the Institute for Wellbeing. Um, and we are going to learn more about this really exciting program uh, called the Student Wellbeing and Institutional Support Survey, SWISS. It's the first national assessment that allows colleges and universities to capture student perceptions of how well their institution supports their well-being. So uh, more to come on that. And so I hope you're able to join us for future episodes. Um, the last question I have, Joey, about the certification program and what it isn't uh, th I think that there's a, the, the biggest question um, that is in my mind right now from a professional standpoint is if I was sitting in the, the, the seat of a vice president trying to figure out where do I prioritize, um, are, you talk are you thinking about how to engage the vice presidents, how we can actually decide how this program is actually used for our professional development dollars mm -hmm. um, and uh, what is you how are you kind of sh shaping that in terms of a partnership with the vice presidents? Thank you for that question. I, I would say VPs have been involved in this process uh, in its development some undergraduate faculty as well as practitioners at various levels including AVPs and directors. So those voices will continue to be important um, as the program is rolled out um, and operates. In terms of, we know professional professional development dollars are, are tight right now. Mm -hmm. um, usually that's the, that's the first thing to go, um, arguably in, in most cases when budgets are tight and get tighter. Um, we want to demonstrate the value of this credential. We've gotten a lot of interest. I know there's been a lot of questions about it, good questions, critical questions. There's also been a lot of positive feedback from folks mm -hmm. as well, too. Um, when we, three years ago, did a market analysis of the student affairs profession, Focus groups that included a survey of about 8,700 individuals and then focus groups that included VPs, early career and mid-level professionals and graduate faculty. And the response largely from those groups was positive. Now there were questions and concerns, understandably. Um, we've been working to address those throughout the development of certification. The VPs in particular, 
found a lot of positives um, with the certification program itself. So this is something that we want to continue to make inroads with our vice president partners mm -hmm. um, for certification for, for their staff. Um, some of the positives that were named across those focus groups was that the creation of such a program could be used as a recruitment and retention initiative for okay. student affairs and services staff when folks are posting positions saying that this is something that they're willing to back mm -hmm. and support. I think another piece of this that we haven't talked really about in this conversation is around continuing education. Mm -hmm. And that I mentioned earlier that mm -hmm. certification at its core is about lifelong learning. And that's going to involve recognizing continuing education. So CE units, CE credits, whatever we want to call right. them. Which is not necessarily something that's been part of the student affairs environment. Correct, correct. Right. Um, and that those CEs through certification will encompass both existing programs as well as opportunities to recognize some of the learning that occurs in other spaces. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. associations who might not be members of the consortium. It could also uh, recognize institutions who do things like in-house student affairs professional development and conferences and provide that type of kind of in-house, in-home professional development for their staff because we know it's, not everybody can travel um, mm -hmm. for multiple mm -hmm. reasons. So it's a way to recognize uh, multiple channels for that. So we're hoping to engage VPs in all of those conversations. Okay. Um, so I want to move to another area and we, we may end up coming back for this in case we have any questions from the audience, but Mamta, um, when we were looking at the, the conference and some of the feedback uh, that I've experienced, as well as from some folks, I was in a, a conversation with some senior student affairs officers, and there was a conversation about how the new professionals and grad students who were at the conference, um, one person even said, they don't know how to conference. And I, you know, we kind of uh, said, well, it's their first time, so they probably haven't had this opportunity. And this, um, and there was this kind of old guard versus new guard uh, kind of conversation about where people fit within the conference and knowing who the, the personalities were and what was supposed to be going on. And I think some of that may be a little bit over the top. I think that we really overanalyze that a bit. Uh, I think some of our new professionals really needed to find community, as you said earlier, is that we want to find community. And there's this sense of belonging that people have when they come into the conference and they want to have that space. And their sense of belonging is going to be with their peers, just as ours was with our peers. Um, but there was this idea of like, th there was a lot of conversation around what is the future of student affairs? And for people in these conversations, there were some folks who were seasoned members of the profession who felt that there were people who were putting a lot of credence on, the in, on their kind of presence there as having to solve the problems of the future of the field while there were new professionals saying, but I'm not at the microphone as part of that conversation. So when you were putting together the conference uh, sessions, the priorities, making sure that there were conversations about, we know we've had a difficult couple years, we know that we are in the midst of some hiring difficulties, was the voice of the new professional something that you think had enough space in the conference, or did we defer to the seasoned members a bit more than uh, the new folks? Does that make sense? 
Um, absolutely. And so, um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, for me to uh, engage this thoughtful conversation, the first thing I need to own is I'm a senior administrator at one of the most privileged institutions in the country, if not the world. So I carry a lot of privilege um, in this conversation. So honestly, what I say truly doesn't matter because I'm mm -hmm. sitting from a privileged space. So I want to own that up front. I think if we have professionals saying that, um, you know, that we um, did not effectively co-create a space where, where all voices um, could enter with a sense of dignity, then we need to think about that. And I, and I certainly value that. I think uh, people that are willing to share that feedback when, you know, we shouldn't have to continually ask, you know, underrepresented voices, kudos to them. And I'm grateful. I, I see that as a blessing. So, mm -hmm. so I'm not somebody who's going to enter from an us and them um, perspective. I think it's an all of us together because we're in it for the future of humanity conversation. And so um, we do have a duty of care to make sure that all wisdoms are sacred at the table. Mm -hmm. um, as a conference leadership committee, one of the things that I will say is we spent a lot of time talking about that. And, and our conference leadership committee itself is, is also very um, intergenerational. Um, I, I think, um, you know, uh, from my own cultural background, I'll speak to the fact that I, you know, like I'm not afraid of being older or more seasoned because there's a gift in that. There's a gift in youth. There's mm -hmm. a gift um, along where all of us are and a wisdom where all of us are in our generational and identity continuum. And so I was raised that way. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, diagnosing people, you know, kind of in a, oh, we're in this camp or that camp. Um, I think, um, you know, certainly if it's to generate empathy, I think it's meaningful. But I think what we have right now is a continued invitation to hold on to each other. Um, mm -hmm. And what I do appreciate, and I didn't have a chance to kind of brag on these colleagues before, but um, Oh my gosh, can we just celebrate Josie Alquist and, and Jen Casas um, for the way in which um, they, their vision really co-created this virtual um, experience. Um, and it included the, uh, and I, I got in trouble with my 13 year old for how much time I was on the phone using Discord. I'm I almost got my phone taken away. Um, and and as, as a connector, right, as connective tissue for, for all of us, no matter how we were engaging the conference. And so I say that we have a lot to learn from each other. Um, I'm somebody who's working on my own intergenerational inclusion practices as an educator. And so um, I just invite us to all stay in it. I do believe that we all have ways that we can lead at the table. And I think we have a duty of care to create. So in my space of privilege, let me own my own stuff. I have a duty of care to co-create environments where people across different generational and experiential um, truths in our profession bring wisdom to the table that is held sacred. So, um, and I did see that at the conference too. So I, I just, I'm in awe of mm -hmm. the early career professionals. I don't think that they didn't know how to conference. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. I, I think that they were conferencing um, in a way that centered what they needed. Um, now, I think we all grow and um, we, we need different things at different times, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, and so I, I just hope that we continue to get better around making sure that people have what they need so that their joy is centered in spaces like this. And, and I think that, you know, I, I appreciate your point about uh, what they what they needed in this space. I will say that, you know, I had some wonderful conversations with former uh, employees, mentees, things of that nature. And this was a healing space for many people. 
Okay. And uh, whether it was in a session or over dinner or something of that nature, I will be very honest with both of you. I was shocked by the level of trauma that people were expressing to me um, that goes beyond even the trauma of the pandemic. Okay. So the pandemic trauma that we all have experienced in our own way, but there were some folks because they were so isolated on their campuses without the opportunity to be in community virtually or, or physically, there was abuses being done to staff that go beyond my realm of comprehension. And we need to acknowledge that. And this isn't, you know, I'm I'm sure there's some folks of a certain like kind of ilk who are saying, come on, how much of this? I'm like, when I tell you the level of, of bullshit and pardon my French that people have had to deal with, I'm, I'm absolutely shocked. Okay. And these are people who love the field. This goes beyond salary. This goes beyond delivering meals to people in isolation. This goes beyond some of these other aspects. This is real abuse. And our, 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 our professionals have not been able to be around one another to be able to express it. And someone say to them, this isn't okay. What you experienced was not okay. I, I do, you know, Mamta, you know, your whole thing with Discord, I have a 15 year old and she's like horrified. She's like, why are you on Discord? What is going on? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not following you. Believe me, the space that people find community um, is going to be different, you know, your, your generation to generation. And I think it's perfectly acceptable that we have found another way to create community where our generations are at even though uh, I will say for myself, Mamta, you're probably better at it than me. I'm pretty clunky on D- Discord, but I know what what is it's happening, you know? Um, yeah, I was gonna say, um, I'm totally clunky too. Um, I just, but love is messy, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, I mean, we need to, you know, amongst the other four letter words that we could choose, we need to include the four letter word love um, mm-hmm. in our work. Um, and and I'm not talking about like rom-com. I, I'm talking about unconditional, unwavering, healing, restorative commitments to one another with boundaries. Um, mm. And and that manifests in different forms and different modalities. And and I think um, if ever a group of people that need that and deserve that and also have the tools to give that to one another, it's our profession. Um, mm. And so um, I just uh, I I want to be somebody. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not fancy. I'm not particularly charismatic, but I want to be somebody who's an N of one that can say, here's my little thing that I can do. And maybe there's a little thing you can do. And all of us, we could do our little things together. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and we will be better and more loving and more, you know, and, and just, just more present in a way that we deserve. So. Well, and I think it's I think it's important from a, a consideration standpoint. Uh, one of the things that I would say is uh, in a time where we're losing people uh, in the profession and people don't really understand the importance of the profession and what the profession means, um, the 
we were all committed. There was an opportunity for everyone to be in the awards environment this year. Um, and, and I think we've done that for a few years now, but this, this uh, allowed for people to be there. And in a time where words are healing, I really wish that the whole community could have heard the words of some of the folks who got to speak. That really could have framed some of the doubt and some of the angst that people were feeling, seeing the compassion and love for the field and for the students that we serve, and we lost an opportunity there. And I hope that maybe in the future we consider that because those folks need to be heard um, because they are they are building our bench just by the words that they're using. So as a as a consideration. Um, and being that words matter, um, I want to move us to the last thing I wanted to cover and then make sure that folks understand that there's going to be uh, potentially some time for Q&A uh, in terms of the audience. So if you have something you want to ask, uh, please remember you can, you can raise your hand and come on up on stage. Um, so Joey, uh, this might be more a custom for you. So there is another area that was somewhat controversial um, that NASPA co-signed a letter with Coupa HR, which is the, the higher education uh, human resources arm. Um, and uh, it ended up in this Forbes article, uh, which was entitled, uh, Higher Education Has a Morale, Morale Problem, Opposing Higher Pay Will Make It Worse. And um, that article was published on, uh, let me make sure I got it here, uh, on March 13th. And then NASPA came out with a uh, response to the article on March 16th. So three days went by, uh, which happens. This is not about how fast did it go out. Um, but one of the things that happened in this letter uh, or in this article in Forbes is it set the kind of tone that NASPA was against FLSA, uh, which would heighten uh, the pay, base pay for the profession. Um, and the last time we had this conversation, I think was 2014 or 2015 when we were talking about this. And it ended up not going very far because in 2016, actually, that's when it kind of stopped because the Trump administration came in and, and you know, a decision was made in Texas. It's always Texas, Mamta. It's always Texas. <laughs> decision was made in Texas. Um, and then the Trump administration came in and there was like a pumping of the brakes turned into a slam of the brakes. And so at certain points of the conference, Kevin Kruger came up and said, uh, whether it be in the opening session or with the faculty breakfast and with the vice presidents, we need to start paying our, our folks better because they're leaving the field finding better opportunities for pay elsewhere. S folks who did not see the news release on March 16th, including myself, and I will be the first one to acknowledge, did not see it, okay? But I did see the Forbes article, okay? And you sit here and you go, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. That FLSA piece is from someone who went through it and had to come up with a way to pay people more and be able to move up 
Yes, I absolutely agree. We need to have a system in place and NASPA and other professional organizations need to be at the table to say to the Department of um, uh, of uh, Labor, what's the best way to do this in higher education, maybe different than in the private sector to bring salaries up, that I get. And you may not be able to answer this question, Joey, so I'm okay with you saying, I'll just bring this back to the community and we'll have a conversation. But are there discussions being had about how NASPA can advocate for not only considering how FLSA is implemented, but also how can they provide guidance to senior student affairs officers about how to go beyond salary surveys? Because this is what happens. They went and they looked at salary surveys. They go back and look at benchmarks. And that's how they're thinking. Instead of looking at staffing models and other considerations about how to make FLSA work. So is there any conversation about that? There's conversation about all of that, Laura. I okay. think, you know, the, the, the Forbes article where I think NASPA would agree is there's certainly a morale issue and morale issues running rampant through higher education and student affairs. And we are, we are hemorrhaging talents and people yes. who love this work and are so good in this work, but are leaving for multiple reasons because the abuse you referenced, uh, because of the pay equity issues, because of the lack of flexibility. And those are real issues that need to occur. I think or the Forbes article misstated it is around NASPA's position. I think you just summarized what that position was, which was to have higher education stakeholders at the table before the Department of Labor issues and changes anything and perhaps has un unintended consequences. If, if you look at the, the, the Compass report, the Future of Student Affairs Task Force report, I think you'll see some concrete recommendations in there or, or guidance which President Kruger, Kevin, referenced in his, in his comments at the opening, at the faculty meetings, throughout the conference as well, for institutions to take really hard looks beyond just pay, just pay surveys, you know, but also looking at pay itself, pay equity, looking at flexibility in the work that we're doing. Because we as a field are de definitely impacted by this and directly impacted. NASPA, through its means, its public policy division, its arms, grappling with these issues and trying to pull higher education and student affairs stakeholders into these conversations. Many already are. I think part of the challenge, I mean, to your, to your point, Laura, is you didn't, you saw the Forbes article, but didn't see the letter. Right. Uh, you know, part of our, part of our worry too, is how many folks saw the response, which was actually NASPA's position on it, which was not saying that there shouldn't be pay equity or pay increases, but rather before, before this goes into effect, let's have a conversation, a broader conversation with folks. So there aren't unintended consequences, which could be, Folks who are currently, you know, um, exempt employees being changed to non-exempt employees, and then as a result, not getting overtime pay. So, I think it's a complex, nuanced issue. Um, it's not a you know thumbs up or thumbs down on pay equity. NASPA wants to support folks in pay equity. It's it's getting stakeholders to the table and more involved in this conversation. Right. Um, when we talk about this morale issue, and I think, Mamta, I think you've, you can provide us some, some ideas here, too, because when you were actually picking sessions, and there were a lot of sessions about the future and about the great resignation and what to do, when you, I mean, you have a better idea of what the, the, what the entire look of the conference was. Did you see more opportunity uh, for uh, consideration of strategy, or were we uh, was there a, too much in terms of looking at 
looking backwards? Was there enough looking forwards and strategy or was there more looking backwards? Um, well, my take on that is I think, um, I don't think we're in a forward or backward state right now because I think we're still in it, yeah. right? And so I, I think uh, a lot of it was uh, meaning making, I, you know, so to your point earlier, we haven't even had the time to be in community to make meaning of it with one another, to affirm, challenge and uplift one another's thoughts. And so I, you know, I think that's what I saw the most of. And, you know, that was a key conference theme, right? Healing and restorative community was one of our, um, our four um, kind of um, signature areas. And so that was uh, something that was of great value to the conference leadership committee. Um, and, and I would join you. I, I think, I think what we saw more of is naming the multifaceted components of this issue, because I think sometimes we can get into right the single story perspective, but even mm -hmm. in this conversation that the three of us have had, you know, it, you actually talked about significant abuses, right? Because of the multiple compounding traumas of things that were happening over the past several years that were only amplified by the pandemic. Um, and so um, everything um, from, you know, what was emerging in Afghanistan, right? Alongside mm -hmm. the pandemic, alongside, yeah. right? So you had conversations in that realm, that's a global realm, as well as the racial, you know, reckoning of many racial reckonings that we continue to have as a nation. Um, in amidst the pandemic, in addition to kind of the staff isolation and um, mental health crisis that um, is also, uh, you know, amplified. Uh, so, so I feel we were right where we needed to be. Um, I think before we think about moving forward, I think we need to think about what it is to move through. Um, and so I, I really applaud the, the levels of where people were in moving through as they presented um, the workshops at the conference. The future of student affairs is something that, you know, had a lot of conversation. Um, young people are, and I, and I will say that while I had conversations with people that was about trauma and about like, oh God, thank God I'm not just crazy. Like, I'm glad someone's telling me what I'm feeling is real. There were also some really positive, I mean, I had a grad, a former graduate student who literally left going, this was the best five days of my life. Okay. So there's people who came through this and they said, okay, now this is my first NASPA in person because maybe they were in grad school in 2020 and they didn't get to do it in person uh, or they didn't have the money or whatever the case may be. So there is a certain amount of positive out there but of course, social media is a space which is compounded by, you know, as, as with most things in social media, it is, it's mostly negative and not your, your positive space. It's not, you know, I spend way too much time on Twitter. It is a nasty place. Okay. Um, but when it comes to these things, I think the common theme that I hear that, or that I'm seeing from a reasonable person standpoint is about communication and that the idea of the article in Forbes and then the release of the NASPA response not getting the same. I mean, you're never going to have the same exact. Like, let's look at what's happened in the last 72 hours around the Oscars, right? <laughs> you know, you're never going to have the same response as the initial act. But what can we do to, to heighten the effectiveness? 
the idea of what is the certificate or the credentialing program uh, versus uh, versus what the what it isn't. That is about this idea, the certificate program about what it is and what it isn't is about communication, right? So you've got communication, communication, communication. Is there something we could learn from this conference about how do we effectively communicate with the association to get us away from some of the presumptions about what what is actually happening. So one of the things you said, Joey, when I asked you about FLSA and how we're going to work with senior student affairs officers and are there conversations, and you said, yes, there's always conversations. How do we make sure people understand that there are always conversations and it's not only these peppered of we need to get people to sign up for this and here's this and blah, blah, blah. Is there some thoughts on on streamlining and maybe bolstering something from what we've learned from the last uh, last few months in terms of communication? I have thoughts, but Mumta, do you want to go? Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, um, I don't have the brilliant thoughts related to our association, but as a as a vice provost for university life, um, I just came out of a meeting before joining us around. Um, you know, what could we have done to communicate differently around the most recent January move-in pivot that we had to do with delayed move-in and how that had a disproportionate impact on international students, um, mm -hmm. just as an example of the dozens that I could bring you. And what I would, what I will say is, yes, you know, we need to, we need to find ways to communicate um, better, more effectively, more in relationship. And so I'm not somebody who will say no we we did a great job like that's that's i'll just be honest about that i put myself like so at my institution i hold myself accountable um for that and i'm also going to own i'm a math person so it's asymptotic right so if y'all the y equals one over x graph um like we're never going to get there um and i don't mean that as a reason not to try what i mean is that this is going to be a lifelong because communications methodology methodologies change i i mean I find that NASPA communicates with me a heck of a lot, but I also know that I am so flooded with information that I miss um, those things. And so I, I'm, that's not anyone's fault. Um, th there's a combination of communication coming at you and also our accountability for, you know, all the information we receive. So I'm having to sit in myself about how do I organize my mm -hmm. communication mm -hmm. that I receive kind of in a space. And so it's just, it's, it's truly messy. And again, I, my intention here, I want to own my intentions not to create free passes for my responsibility as an educator or an administrator or an ASPA or any of those spaces. And also sitting in a space with empathy um, to know that, that we uh, like in my space, I do find that I get information and, and, you know, I may not digest it, you know, in, in a way that, that I might have the capacity for, um, because because it is a it is a lot. So I just um, I'm trying to be better um, is what I would mm -hmm. say, and and I'm ha I'm always happy to be publicly held accountable because and tomorrow will be better than today. Mm -hmm. yep, absolutely, yeah. Joey. I love what Mom just said. The only thing I would add is trying to find the balance between over communicating, not overwhelming, and listening. Yeah. Um, you know, I think at the annual conference, Laura, you referenced the the awards reception is such a great space, a warm space. And I think for a lot of folks, that was a reunion space. Mm -hmm. I imagine there were a lot of folks who didn't want to walk in that room because they didn't feel like they're part of the club. 
right? right? And so how do we find avenues to hear that, um, the lack of inclusion or the lack of welcome Mm -hmm. and find ways to create spaces in partnership with those folks or Mm -hmm. help direct them to where those spaces exist so they can engage and inform and create on their own. I think Mm -hmm. to mom's point, this is ongoing. This is certainly ongoing and there's a balance and it's messy. And, and it's okay for us to say that, you know, going back to what Mamta said in the very beginning was that this is going to be an imperfect experience. Um, being in community is an imperfect experience. And um, I'm, I'm uh, grateful to both of you for spending this hour with me um, and our community here in Fireside. Um, and uh, you are both invited back anytime to have any kind of conversation you would like to have as far as the, uh, as far as the profession is concerned. I want to invite everybody back next week for Thri- Thriving in Unfamiliar Places with our guest, Dr. Sydney Freeman from the University of Idaho, where we're going to be talking about being first um, uh, on his campus. And uh, remember, uh, you can catch up on all past episodes of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe by pulling up my profile and checking out my hosted shows. Um, you can also share past episodes and send them to your friends and colleagues. And scrolling across the middle of the screen right now is my contact information. So please feel free to contact me in any way that you think you might have uh, an upcoming show idea, an opportunity to converse, to have an offline conversation. Happy to have that. And so thank you, uh, Mamta. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, everybody, for being here for Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. And I look forward to seeing you all in the room where it happens in the future. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>